God himself extends grace to you and to me through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of his spirit. And one of the most powerful ways that grace manifests itself is in the ways that we extend it to other people. So as we wrap up this series, A Life of Grace, and as we wrap up the fall semester, Aaron explains how grace in relationships can transform them and gives us some practical tips on how to fill our relationships with grace. Welcome to Challenge. Merry Christmas. Good to see you guys. This is the last challenge of 2021. Crazy. The year has flown by. So I'm Erin. If I haven't met you, I'm glad that you chose to come and be with us tonight. Welcome, welcome. So I thought I would just start with some honesty. We're in this grace series, and so what a better way to start is, you know, I really struggle with grace. Grace is really challenging for me. To be honest, it baffles me. But the more I learn about grace, the more I desire it, but it perplexes me. And it's really ironic that Neil would ask me to share about grace because it wasn't that long ago at a Starbucks that is now buried underneath the village over there when Neil pointed out a conversation to me that I don't understand grace. And I, I was like, oh, are you rehearsing a conversation you're going to have with someone else later? Or like, I, are, you, are you talking to me? Is there someone behind me? But I was against a window, so I knew it was talking to me. I was like, I don't understand how you could think that I don't understand grace. Um, grace is fundamental to Christianity. For those of us who are followers of Christ, we know that. How could I call myself a follower of Jesus and not understand grace? But he was right, and he still is right. It's a hard concept for me to grasp. So I'm sure at this point you're like super excited that I get to share with you about grace tonight. You're like, who is this girl? She's very equipped for this. And I am. But that conversation really started me on a journey of a deep dive into grace in order to better understand it for myself because I want to understand it and live it out and really exude it to other people. Because like we just talked about, it's foundational to our Christian faith. And maybe like you, like me, you might have grown up around Christians. You might have grown up going to church. So the idea of like missing grace, you're like, how did I miss it? Was I gone that Sunday they talked about it? Um, but it's interesting because when you read the scripture, grace is probably one of the most important words in the Bible, right? It's the heart of the gospel. And somehow I missed it. I tell you this so that you know that I am a sojourner in this journey of grace with you, that I have not arrived. I am not an expert in any way. I have a very elementary level understanding of grace. Prayerfully, I will grow in that until I see Jesus face to face. But one of the ways that we learn grace is by experiencing grace, right? Like many of you, I've experienced a ton of grace from my family. But in the back of my mind, there's just this idea that, well, I deserve grace from them. After all, like we share the same DNA, like Come on, you have to be gracious towards me. I'm your sister, right? But when people who aren't related to me, people who don't share my DNA, extend grace to me, it really knocks me flat. It throws me for a loop because I realize they don't have to. They're choosing to be gracious to me. So grace and relationships is what I'm going to be talking about tonight. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but it happens to me. This spring, it happens more often than not, but it, it kind of actually happened today. But um, the story I'm going to tell is about this past spring. Like it's just an ordinary day, a perfectly normal day, or going about your day. And you get a text or a phone call or an email that just derails your day, right? You're like, what in the world? I had no idea that 
print on a screen could elicit such emotion from my heart and my mind. So I got an email one such day this spring. I felt betrayed. I felt confused and hurt and upset. It was totally outside of my control. I couldn't do anything about it. The deed was done, and I really struggled with my emotions. So I went to bed that night, and I couldn't sleep. I was so full of angst. So I knew the next day I needed to call and get some advice from a friend. Neil was out of town. It was a work-related thing, so I knew I eventually needed to talk to him. But who wants to interrupt his vacation with my barrage of emotions? So I did not call him. I called a trusted mentor and friend in Kansas who knows me, knows my life, knows campus ministry. So I went on this walk with Melody, and I just unloaded the emotion of it all. And she, and she validated my concern. She heard me. She said, I understand that you feel this way, but you, you're going to have to talk to Neil about it. I was like, okay, I know I do. So she kind of coached me. She was like, but let me caution you in this conversation, Aaron. I was like, oh, great. Because I had a lot of words that had been welling up for a while. And so she said, you know, it's good and it's healthy to really communicate your desires and expectations. But there's a fine line between desires and expectations and demands. I was like, ooh, this is profound. I don't know about you, but in my heart, the line between desire and expectations, I brought it in my pocket, is as thin as a piece of thread. It's almost, probably those in the back, I don't know if Ryan King can see this, all the way back there, it's almost imperceptible. Matt Foster can't even see it at the front row. Yeah, it's imperceptible in my heart. And how I know I've crossed it is because when something happens, the emotions that are elicited means, oh, Aaron, you have crossed that line from between desires and expectations into demands. And so it's an unhealthy way to live, but far too often I allow my heart to go there. So I, when Neil got back from vacation, I was like, we need to talk. And I had, you know, it's a um, difficult conversation where I have typed out all my desires, my expectations, and the changes I would like to see made. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, but I told him at the beginning, this is how Melody told me to approach this conversation. So he knew that this is what was coming. <coughs> so we met up, and Melody really cautioned me. She was like, Aaron, you're going to need to do the hard work in your heart of not letting bitterness set in, because Neil's in charge. He gets to decide whether these changes that you're suggesting are going to happen or not. And she was right. But you see, grace is work. Grace isn't passive. Grace takes effort and choices along the way. Grace chooses to believe the best. Grace chooses trust when suspicion's easier. Grace chooses to engage rather than distance myself when it's easier and when I'm hurt, right? But grace is best understood in the context of relationships. And I don't know about you, but in my life, relationships are hard. They're challenging, they're messy, and it's difficult to navigate these competing desires, expectations, and demands, if I'm perfectly honest, right? But it's in relationships that grace is so beautifully experienced. So I'm praying that tonight will be really helpful for you because I don't know about your vacation plans, but I am counting the days. So I am leaving on a jet plane, this place, and headed to God's country, as my family calls it, um, to Oklahoma, which to you guys is like the wild, wild west. And in terms of COVID, it is the wild, wild west. Um, so I'm like, no more Trojan check, no more mask, woo! I'm gonna live freely. I'm gonna post you guys, I'm gonna blow up your Instagram with my face, my whole face. But it's easy for me to idealize the holidays, right? 
I tend, this is just my personality, my temperament, um, sunny side up. And so I have painted this picture in my mind what the holidays are going to be. And it's going to be like a Hallmark movie. Like my siblings and I are all going to get along. The weather will be perfect. And no one is going to get sick. We're all going to agree on what we want to do. We're all going to show up on time. And we're all going to have fun. And the weather's going to be great. And when my mom suggests going to the skate park, I'll be like, I'd love to, you know, let's go watch these boys for four hours in 30 degree weather. Um, I'm just going to be happy and happy. But the reality is we're not going to get along. There's going to be looks. There's going to be comments. There's going to be glances and maybe even some attitudes that need to be adjusted. That's just the reality of the holidays, right? But when, you, when I stopped and considered the story that I was writing, I'm at the center of the story. My family's holiday is really revolving around what I want to do. I want to have fun in the way I want to have fun. I want to see these people. I want to do these things. And I would like to think that maybe you're at the center of your holiday plans as well. When you're dreaming about going home or being with friends for the holidays, maybe we're more similar than you think. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we've talked a lot about this semester, has some great advice on how grace impacts our relationships. And he cautions us to avoid the very thing that I struggle with day in and day out, to make myself the center of my world. And you see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Paul writes this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That key thing, no longer live for themselves, is much harder than it sounds. You know, sin contaminates every fiber of our being. It stains our relationships. I want things from you. You want things from me. All day long, I'm fighting the I want, I want, I want. Sin causes us to be self-obsessed and self-focused. And we see relationships either as a vehicle or an obstacle. You're a vehicle to help me get what I want or you're an obstacle that gets in the way of what I want and then I get angry right? And so Paul writes so clearly that the cure for this is Jesus. Jesus came for this purpose, to rescue us from ourselves. His grace alone rescues us. Grace changes everything. It changes our lifestyle, our relationships, our paradigm, the way we approach life. The grace isn't intended to be this vehicle that gets us into heaven and then we live however we want here. No, grace is for the nitty-gritty, the everyday, the messiness, of the moment-by-moment life, this side of heaven, and my struggles and my needs. I don't know about you, but my relationships could use a good dose of, of grace each and every day. Because grace, when appropriately applied and accurately applied, solves just about everything. To say that I deserve grace or that someone else deserves grace is really a contradiction. Andy Stanley talks about you can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. And I really like surprise parties, but he's right. There's just no way to plan a surprise party for yourself. You can ask for grace. You can plead for grace. But the moment you think you deserve grace, it's not grace. And the funny thing about grace is that we can't recognize it or receive it until we realize that we don't deserve it. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. And it's the, the knowledge that we don't deserve it, allows us to receive it, right? It's just, it's baffling. It's so hard to understand and apply. So in this series that we've been looking at and that I'm wrapping up tonight, we've been looking at what the Apostle Paul has to say about grace. 
This is the definition that we've been working off of for the last couple of weeks. Grace is the provision of God through Christ that is available to us to fill the gaps in all the arenas we face. You know, Paul, in another writing of his, refers to himself as the chief of sinners. I think Paul talked about grace so much because he knew, he remembered so easily what a graceless life he led before encountering Jesus. He knew what could happen if we really believed in our heart of hearts that we could earn God's love. Because that really sets us up for failure, right? As soon as we mess up, well, we doubt that God could still love us because it's all dependent on us, right? But that's not how it works at all. Because Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's love for us is not based on us, but it's based on him. Paul took great pains to explain how God has made peace with human beings. Grace baffles us, right? It goes against every part of our human intuition. In the face of injustice, a price has to be paid. We don't let murderers walk around the street. We don't let thieves just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I wanted it. it no, that's not how it works, right? We shake our fists at that. But Paul stressed so clearly that a price had to be paid, and the price was paid by God himself, that God chose to give up his own son rather than give up on humanity. Because grace really costs nothing for the recipient, but everything for the giver. And sometimes we have this misconception that God is like this doting grandfather, and it's just, he's just so nice that he just wants to like give us grace, like it's a present that he gives us. But grace is costly, guys. It costs the exorbitant price of Calvary. It's huge. It's unimaginable. Grace is costly. And grace is only free because God bore the cost himself. So how do we live this life of grace? How do we do this day in and day out? We're going to look at some of the New Testament writers tonight, and I'm going to cover three different ways that I would encourage us to begin living a life of grace. The first one is grace-filled speech. The second one is grace-filled actions. And the last one is maturing in grace. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I don't know about you, but that seems totally impossible for me, that my conversation is always seasoned with grace. It is not true of Aaron Kelsey Gillum, I'll tell you that. What is grace-filled conversation? Paul writes about things that it is and things that it isn't. And Paul doesn't just write one letter to one church and say, this is exactly what it is. We're going to hop around a little bit in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This Greek word translated unwholesome really means rotten or foul. Think of the vegetables and fruit you have in the back of your fridge that you're going to need to toss before you head out, because if you don't, you're going to be greeted with a not-so-fun surprise. That's the equivalent of unwholesome talk. It's, it's vulgar humor, dirty jokes, foul language, inappropriateness. So Paul's saying, don't let it come out of your mouth. Get rid of it. And it's easy, I don't know about you, just to talk, right? It's like, I'm just talking, giving really no thought to how can I have a conversation with someone that really encourages them, that blesses them, that builds them up, rather than just talking about the new USC football coach or all these other things that we could be talking about. Um, but to give thought to what we say and how we say it in order that other people are really blessed by our words. He also writes, 
a little bit earlier in Ephesians 4, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I think sometimes it's easy for me to be like, that verse was really better for people who have a gentle personality. I don't have a gentle personality, so I can get a pass on this one. But this is not about personality or temperament, not at all. Um, Truth and love really go hand in hand. Because we know the truth, we must be people characterized by love. We talked about that in John 13, 34, and 35, the first series challenge that people would know that we are followers of Jesus by how we love. And Jesus is described as coming from God full of grace and truth. So for those of us who are Christ followers, who our goal and aim in life is to become more like him, then it makes sense that our lives are more and more characterized by people who are filled with grace and truth. So Paul uses words like helpful, edifying, meeting needs, beneficial. Those are the descriptive words of the words that we should be using as we talk to each other. The grace-filled speech is motivated by love, right? It's not like blowing sunshine or just telling everyone what they want to hear. Not at all, but it's lovingly speaking the truth. Jesus taught us that really it's the overflow of our hearts, right? That's where the speech comes from. I don't know about you if you've ever thought this. I've thought this like, wow, where did that come from? He made me say that. I was like, oh, no, he, me. That came from my heart. That's something I try to cover and mask up, but that just came out, and now other people are aware of the dirtiness and the nastiness inside of my heart. And Paul really cautions us to think about things in such a way because what we think will actually come out of our mouths as well. In Philippians 4.8, he writes, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I find this to be really true in my own life. Like if I'm dwelling on a frustration or someone who's hurt me or anything that's actually in opposition to any of these words up here, then it impacts the words that come out of my mouth. They're not full of grace. They're not building people up. They're full of my own sin and myself, my opinions. And the last verse we'll look at under this grace-filled speech is Philippians 4, 14 through 16. This is a tough one, guys. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I don't know about you, but that sounds impossible. Grumbling, complaining. How often did I do that today? I couldn't even count how many times I grumbled and complained, right? But this is the picture that Paul paints, and it's so motivating that the very words we speak, if they're grace-filled, if they're life-giving, then we, I know you can't see the stars in LA, so you're just going to use your imagination, will shine like the airplanes that are landing at LAX that you think are stars. It's like that in this night sky that we will illuminate the darkness on this campus within our families, our spheres of influence, our places of work by just refraining from grumbling and complaining. Yikes. It's a lot harder than it sounds, isn't it? But those kinds of things, that's what is involved in a grace-filled speech, part of living a grace-filled life. The second thing is grace-filled actions. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So you think about that. As followers of Jesus, we are tasked with being these dispensers of grace, that the people around us would taste the grace of God through interacting with you and I. What a high calling. Oh, my goodness. The phrase that Peter and Paul 
use a couple different times is this phrase of administering grace or dispensing grace. And it brings to mind this image. So Nadja's going to put it up on the screen. I don't know if any of your grandmothers or maybe great-grandmothers had one of these. It's this old-timey perfume bottle. And this was like before the technology had really helped with the fine mist coming out. So a little bit went a long way. So if you, you pumped too much, um, the whole room would be fragrantized in a good way or a bad way, depending on the, the perfume that your grandmother used. Um, and so sometimes it, it was like, oh, like almost nauseating, like, oh, wow, this is, this is a lot for this small space. And other times it was a sweet fragrance. And so that's the picture of it, that we would dispense grace in such a way that it would change the atmosphere of the places where we are, the people that we interact with, that we would leave places grace-filled because of our presence, because of the way we interact with people. You know, a personal example of this in my own life is every Thursday night walking into this room. Um, so I have lots of different responsibilities, but one of my big responsibilities in the spring is reserving this room. And so you, it's really hard to get this room, guys. I don't want to tell you how hard it is, but it's really hard. So it's March 31st. Well, it's technically April 1st at midnight. So I like fill out the form online and I set, I go to bed because you guys stay up till the next day. I like to go to wake up and go to sleep on the same day. It's this novel idea. Really helps me. So I, I fill it all out and I go to sleep and I set alarms for like 11.58 so I can go back over and make sure it's right. And then as soon as midnight hits, I hit send. So no one else can say they got theirs in before we got ours in. Well, I, as if I was super busy and March 31st, 2021. I don't know what happened, but it wasn't the next day and it wasn't the day after that. It was like two or three weeks later, I realized I didn't ever get an email from TCC. Oh, I never filled that out. And I was driving in my car and I was like physically ill because Neil loves this room. Loves, loves this room. <laughs> like, <coughs> I don't think he loves this room more than me, but in that moment, I, I really doubted that. And so, um, so I call, like I knew the only thing I could do was call and just confess, like throw my, I, myself at his feet on the phone and be like, um, so that room you love, there's zero chance we're going to get that room because it's like April 21st and I never submitted it in a million years, never submitted it. I was like, oh gosh, he's like, he responded with such grace. He's like, Aaron, well, I think I was hysterically crying on the phone too. Um, you know, God's in control. If God doesn't want us to have that room, we're going to have another room. We're going to be where God wants us to be. And I was just like overcome with grace. And look where we are, guys. December 2021, in the forum, by grace. God's grace with this man named Bo that works in scheduling. If you ever meet this, I've never met him. If you meet him, give him a hug. Because thanks for Neil being gracious. I walk in every Thursday. I'm like, thank you, God. This is your grace. I work. It's reminded that I didn't get what I deserved. What I deserved was, Aaron, you had one job. You just need to fill out one form. Like, pull your life together. What, what is so demanding on your schedule that you can't remember one thing? No, I mean, that's what I deserve. I deserve like a, a lashing and a tongue leashing, right? But that's not what I got. I was graced, right? So may you and I be people who grace other people in their moments of like, I screwed up big time. And there's no way to fix it, right? So the last point I want to talk about tonight is maturing in grace. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, to grow in grace doesn't mean that we gain more of God's grace because that's impossible, right? It's, his grace is inexhaustible. It's limitless. It's vast. We can never even imagine how huge his grace is. But to grow 
in grace really means we grow in our understanding of what Jesus did, of who he is. We grow in our appreciation of the grace that has been given to us. And the more we learn about Jesus and then we grow in him and we appreciate what he's done, the more we appreciate the sacrifice that he has made for us and the never-ending grace of God that is exhaustible that then in turn we want to extend to other people because it's just too good to keep to ourselves. If we want to grow in understanding of grace, it's good to even think about in the future how that's going to impact our relationships. Grace-filled people, people who are maturing in grace, I think are far more prone to forgive, to love, to be compassionate, to be generous when someone has just messed up big time on their one job, filling out a little form. But oh, may that be true of you and me until we see Jesus face to face, that every day we would be growing and deepening in our understanding of grace, that we would recognize the gift of it, that we would bask in the wonder of it, that we would deepen our understanding of it, and we would just lavishly extend it to other people. And one of the ways we grow in grace is through relationships, the ones with the people in this room and our roommates and our families, our classes. And may we never forget that the people that we come face to face with are desperately in need of grace, just like we are. I was thinking today about the people in my life who are, who are grace-filled people. And um, I got a phone call today from my mom, and I knew it was going to be a bad phone call. I'd kind of been waiting for it. My dad's, my dad was one of six, so the brother right above him, you can put the picture on the screen, Nadja, um, had a PET scan for cancer today, and it's in his kidneys. It started in his lungs, kidneys, and now it's in his brain. This is my Uncle Jim. I don't know, you can't really see this. He's the one in the gray shirt at the very bottom. If you see, that's baby Aaron right there in the white with my mom, and then that's my dad without the beard in the, the plaid shirt. This was long, 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 long time ago. But my Uncle Jim right there really struggled with alcoholism for a lot of years, and I didn't really know this side of him until more recently, until I got older. You know, every family has their secrets, and I kind of just, you know, when you're older, you'll understand these things. And so, and my dad's brothers don't go around airing his dirty laundry, but there'll just be times in conversations when one of the, us kids will ask a question, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, that was when, you know, Jim was struggling with alcoholism. But, the, and I don't remember this, but my Uncle Jim encountered grace. And his life was changed forever. So the Uncle Jim that I know is nothing like the stories that they tell because he met grace. And there were consequences for his decisions, and he has really paid the price on a lot of different areas. But I don't know a more grace-filled person because his, he tasted so deeply of the grace of God. And it wrecked his life in such a profound way because he recognized there was nothing he could do to earn it. He couldn't fix it. He couldn't mend his life. He had to throw himself on the grace of Jesus, and it made all the difference in his life. And I know some of you don't have baggage like that, but we are all in that same position of desperately in need of grace. And when we encounter the richness of the grace of God, we are never the same. And when we're never the same, we want other people to encounter that same kind of grace as well so that their lives could be wrecked in the same beautiful way and that that would extend to the people around us. So may it be true of you and I that till we see Jesus face to face, that grace would be an ambition of ours. It would be something we would pursue wholeheartedly, that just like we pray that we would grow in love and grow in patience toward the people who annoy us, that we would grow in grace. So I want to close with this quote. I've been reading this great book 
um, actually, Melody, the lady who helped me with this situation before, has been recommending this book for like two years. And I bought the book last summer. And I didn't read the book. And I just picked it up recently. It's when I, wanted, I would wish I had a million dollars. I'd buy it for all of you. But then I don't know that you'd read it. Um, but if you're interested in reading it, it's called Gentle and Lowly. And I thought I'd end with this quote because it's just, it so captured what I hope you hear tonight. Only as we drink from the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. Oh, friends, may we drink deeply of God's grace and of his kindness. May we experience it and keep drinking it day after day after day, moment by moment by moment. And may the world around us be startled, would be startled and shocked in such a way to experience grace like they've never seen and experienced before through you and I, administers and dispensers of this lavish grace that we will never earn, that we could never deserve it, unmerited from God. So let me pray for us tonight and then welcome back up the worship team. Father, we're just in awe that you would extend your grace to us your grace to me. I thank you for people who have graced me again and again and again. I pray that you would grow us in grace, that we would mature in it and swim in it, and that it would just exude out of us, that you would capture our hearts with it, and that we would never lose sight of how desperate we are for your grace, and that you would transform our relationships as we grow in grace and become more and more like you. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the USA Christian Challenge podcast. That's a wrap for the fall 2021 semester. We hope you guys have a great winter break. And if you're looking for archived episodes of this podcast, you can find them on any of your favorite podcast platforms. If you're in the area, we would love to see you next semester every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. in TCC 450 on the campus of the University of Southern California. To learn more about us or get involved, follow us on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com. Merry Christmas, and we will see you in the new year.